drugs and maths for a good night in. Hello, you are listening to Grape Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we're going to be talking about the book Heartless by Marissa Mayer. But before we get into that, we've got wine. We what do have wine. Kim, we tell do us about have this, wine. this fancy Greek-looking bottle. It is a Greek bottle. Ooh. Well done. I know my Cyrillic alphabets. <laughs> so we have the Queen of Hearts by Nico Lazaridi, mm-hmm. Greek white wine. Smart. The reason for choosing this is obvious. Yeah. It's called The Queen of Hearts. We are reading a book about the Queen of Hearts. But I also thought that it would be fun to do a white wine, not a red wine for the Queen of Hearts. Red wine for Queen of Hearts felt a little bit obvious. Yeah. <laughs> also, there is a red wine called the Queen of Hearts. There's actually a whole Queen of Hearts series by a Californian winemaker. But mm. shockingly enough, they're in California and they don't they don't not ship to the UK. So we didn't get that. We did get this. We got this lovely Greek white wine from the greekdeli.com who were very great in getting it to me and making sure that it got to me on time, which I really appreciated. The tasting notes are, this utterly seductive, graceful wine reflects the unique Greek terroir, a light white wine that you can enjoy and share with friends and family with a vivid golden yellow colour, elegant aromas of white flesh fruits and spring flowers, Delicious with Mediterranean recipes, Greek-style moussaka, fish and other seafood, pasta dishes or green salads. A refreshing finish invites another sip. It sounds really refreshing. It sounds perfect for a summer's day. So hopefully we will enjoy this one. So I will pour away. Lovely. Just a couple of sound quality caveats for our listeners. We are recording at mine, Kim's house again. We have the cat who currently is being very well behaved, but mayhem may ensue at any minute <laughs> i have a very loud road and train right sort of i'm wedged in between loud train line loud road line yeah and also sam and i are both recovering from various illnesses so might at times sound a little bit croaky appalls yes. but fortunately we have wine to whet our whistle uh, if you hear anything appalls we do our best yeah we don't have champagne on a tuesday money we also don't have recording studio in our house money no or space or space Cheers. It's a nice colour. It is. It's actually a really nice colour. It's very pale. I've never been quite this excited to try a white wine. I hope it lives up to it. Don't build it up too much. I know, it's probably going to be horrible now. That is very... Holiday. Exactly. It's it's definitely a holiday wine. But not in a like, this is the cheapest wine around the pool that we can afford. And it's slightly warm (laughs) wine. This is just like... Taverna wine. This is Taverna wine. You are sat, the sun setting... Everything is right with the world, and someone brings you a wine, and you're like, mm, I kind of wanted red, but actually, yeah, I will have Please white. Also, bring me some Bomades and Calamari. Yes, Perfect. I mean, it definitely is a seafood wine, yeah, really, really nice. Yeah, hooray! hooray! <laughs> <laughs> Off to a good start. Yes. So, the wine again is called The Queen of Hearts, and the book that we've just read is an origin story for the Queen of Hearts. So, this book, why did we choose this book, Kim? We thought it'd be really cool to do a villain origin story on the podcast. We talk a lot about fairy tale retellings or modern fairy tales or witches and everything like that because we love them and we find them fascinating. Mm. And I think there are so many iterations of that story that we find fascinating, but we don't actually talk a lot about villain origin stories. But we have talked about how much we are drawn to villains or we like a well-written villain. And so this was one that we've seen a lot all over the shop. And it's a very well-known villain. It's a familiar story. So it would be interesting to see how 
they handled a powerful woman villain origin story. Mm. So I'm pretty sure this is our, her second origin story. The first, I think, was Fairest, mm-hmm. which I think was about Evil Queen. Evil Queen. But I don't know that for certain because I've I have read Marissa Mayer before, but I've only read the Luna Chronicles. Mm. Anyway, so so that's why we decided to talk about it. Loosely, it is, as we've said, the origin story of the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. The back copy reads, Long before Alice fell down the rabbit hole and before the roses were painted red, the Queen of Hearts was just a girl in love for the first time. And it is the story of Kath, the Queen of Hearts, who long story short falls in love with the court jester aka jest who comes from the land of chess we are introduced to a number of the alice in wonderland characters for the first time in in their origins as well the the mad hatter the march hare the mock turtle mm-hmm. queen of hearts obviously even the the, the cook with all the pepper yes yeah. yeah exactly and the caterpillar and it does what it says on the tin it is it gets you from girl to queen of hearts yeah. with some stuff in between in the world of wonderland what did you think <laughs> as we as kim mentioned we love a retelling we love an origin story and i was quite excited to read this i thought it was going to be insightful and original and then i started reading it and i was not convinced it read and i say this with the greatest of respect because there's a lot of very good fan fiction out there but it read like fan fiction to me that I would read in instalments on Tumblr. Yeah. Um, for various reasons, which we will get into later. But I was disappointed. Yeah. What did you think? How did it stack up to your expectations? I was also disappointed. I read and loved the Lunar Chronicles. They're a bit silly, but they do really do something different. And they're only silly because they're fun. Yeah. And fun books are often called silly books. Yeah. But they are... You know, the Lunar Chronicles, for anyone who's not read them, are futuristic retellings of fairy tales in which basically Cinderella is a cyborg and she teams up with Rapunzel and Red Riding Hood and Snow White to save the fucking world from the moon, a.k.a. the evil queen. (laughs) So, right, right, right. It's fucking amazing. And this is the thing. I talk about those books with a lot of joy and love in my heart yeah. i've recommended them to people i actually recommended them to a lot of people during the early stages of the pandemic despite the fact that it involves a plague mm. because it's so entertaining and i bought this book i think around the time that i read cinder for the first time and i was like one day i'm gonna to get to that but i'm gonna finish the lunar chronicles first and i really enjoy the lunar chronicles and so yeah and i've had this on my shelf for a while i really love the cover and everything so it had a lot of promise and i have a soft spot for alice in wonderland i you know i'm a literature student i have alice pictures on my wall i lived near oxford and went you know went to oxford on various journeys including during and around my confirmation that talked about Lewis Carroll and his relationship to Oxford and all that sort of stuff so it's very near and dear to my heart and so I was really excited and like you say I was excited because I thought that it was going to do something unique and it was disappointing in ways that I'm sure we'll articulate through the course of this episode I did enjoy it and definitely somewhere in the middle I got really into it Mm. Because it's compelling, it's a really good plot, it's entertaining, but for what I wanted it to be, and for what I think it promises, and what I think we want out of a villain origin story of a powerful female villain, it was lacklustre. 
Yeah, it felt like it was lacking the meat on the bones a bit yeah. with, the, with the plot. Yeah, which is a shame. But what did you think... Obviously, we both have our reservations about it. What did you think was done well? You've mentioned that you thought it was compelling and it, it grabbed you at certain points. Yeah. But what, was there anything else that you were like, yes, I can appreciate this? There was quite a few things, actually, that I did think it did really well. I think that the plot itself, if it wasn't the Queen of Hearts, the mm. plot itself is a really good plot. And that's part of the reason why it's compelling. It hits all good notes. You've, you know, you've got a villain, you've got a lot of compassion and empathy and, and interest and, and terror. And it's quite, I think, inspiring if you are a young woman and you're you're trying to find a way in the world. All of that, if you remove the fact that it's the Queen of Hearts story and that it doesn't end well, all of that was great. And I think that it did find its footing in wonderland after a while but it took a bit of time i thought that there were there were a lot of really rich descriptions of food baking people characters the descriptive techniques used to either make you feel empathy for certain characters or make you feel like you are in the room with someone it was vivid yeah Yeah. at things like the tea party or there's a point at which they're going through a hedge maze and things like that all of that felt very real and very vivid. And as a baker and a lover of Wonderland, mm-hmm. I appreciated that. But all of that kind of comes with... A, some of that took a bit of time. Certainly the getting into Wonderland, I think, is probably the weakest strength, if that makes sense. Like, it was strong at points. Yeah, It did really bright flashes of this is Wonderland. And then really puttered out a little bit. But definitely, I think the drawing of characters and bringing them to life and the vividness of description and I really wanted to eat all the things <laughs> was really great. What about you? What were your strengths of this book? So I think you're right. I think it was very vivid. It was very easy to picture the people in the settings. But I don't know if that's because we know them so well and we've seen them in so many other forms. We know what the Mad Hatter looks like or we have an idea of what the Mad Hatter looks like she could have just put it was the Mad Hatter and we'd know it's not Johnny Depp it's not (laughs) it is not Johnny Depp nothing should be Johnny Depp anymore truth preach I'm on the fence about how much of that I can attribute to her skill Mm -hmm. versus the world that it was set in Mm -hmm. and like I said the the fact that it's a familiar place and again it comes back to that fan fiction sort of Mm -hmm. feeling and I'd like to talk a bit more later about like sort of the difference between a fan fiction story and a retelling or a fan fiction story and a prequel or what you know a oh. sequel whatever because technically they are the same thing quite a lot of the time I mean Twilight is Pride and Prejudice fan fiction yes and then uh, Fifty Shades of Grey is Twilight, Twilight fan, fan fiction. fiction so so technically Fifty Shades of Grey is Pride and Prejudice fan fiction doesn't that make you feel a bit sick it makes me feel ill every time I remember <laughs> it but there you go so yeah I think I, re- I was like, oh, there must be some positives. And I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, there were elements of everything that I did not like. And that doesn't mean I didn't like them all the way through. But do you know what I mean? I can't be like, oh my God, the writing was so good. Because there were places where it just was lazy and not very good. There were, I can't speak to all of the characterization because there were some great characters. But again, we come back to that question. Yeah. And also some of them were fucking annoying. I just love that. There must be some good qualities. <laughs> there must be. And I think... It, it did <laughs> it did some things well and some things not well it was inconsistent it was inconsistent and it felt like a lot of different ideas for a story mashed into one story to try and make a plot I'm getting into the negatives now but I think positive wise it 
I think it started out really well. Mm-hmm. I think it started really well with, like you say, the, the, the descriptions of the of the lemon tart she was making and the interaction with the Cheshire cat who just like pops up and is like, what are you doing? Where's my tuna? I um, literally put lemon cakes on the shopping list <laughs> for our this. company retreat because of this. And then they didn't no. send them and I was heartbroken. Bastards. Absolute bastards. I don't feel like anything went far enough and some things went, the, except the things that went too far. Yeah. So with that in mind, what did you think let this down? I think that what let this down is that it's a retelling with the Queen of Hearts. Mm. It's either that it's a really good book that she takes the plot that she wanted to write and that she envisaged these characters that she clearly has brought to life in her, her heart and head, gives them the story that she clearly wants them to have, which is the happy ending. Mm-hmm. Or she writes an, a villain origin story in which the villain of our origin is believable like the the beginning to end is believable the biggest flaw that i had in this book was that i just didn't fucking believe at any point that kath turned into the queen of hearts Mm. i just didn't believe it and i still don't really believe it and i tried to believe it and i kept trying to remind myself that that was going to happen but it felt very quick and i've seen this happen in other books and i'm always very sympathetic to it because i can just see how easy that is to do where you've written a character that you love and you fall in love with or a story that you love and fall in love with and then you're like ah i've got to do i've the, got to do the, got thing. To do the thing and i've she sort of wrote herself into a corner exactly exactly and that's the, and that's why i think you know when i say she wrote these characters so well is that and this plot so well that i that that's the part that i enjoyed is because i believed in Kath and Jest and I believed in the world that they were doing and I believed that they could they could conquer the world and all this sort of stuff I believed in their love story I believed that she could have her bakery mm-hmm. I believed in the way that Jess saw Kath and then I kept trying to reconcile that with how I knew that it ended and I kept being like how is she going to pull this off gosh that's going to be really clever and it was very tight like, and it wasn't yeah and it yeah. wasn't and that's the thing like I just don't think she pulled it off. And again, I'm sorry, Marissa Mayer, because I really, I really love the Lunar Chronicles. Mm. And I think that is part of the problem that I had with this book is because I did love the Lunar Chronicles and because I know what she can do with taking a plot, scattering it to the four corners and then mm. bringing it back to a believable and satisfactory ending. The fact that she didn't pull it off this time mm. bothered me. And that, for me, the biggest weaknesses was that she wrote a book that didn't do justice to the book that she had in her head because yeah. she was tying it to a motif and a character and, a, and an origin story that is frankly hard to write. Let's not diminish that. Queen of Hearts, hard sell. Yeah, there's no, there's no nuance to the Queen of Hearts in the original. There's, she's just off with her head. Paint mm-hmm. everything red. Ah, croquet. And that's basically it, just raging croquet. But that's that's it, you know, she's she's anger with a mallet. She's yeah. not <laughs> She's not <sighs> someone that you want to really know anything else about because you don't need to. I think that's the thing, is there are there are characters you know, if we're talking sort of Disney fairy tale mm-hmm. versions of these characters, Lady Tremaine from mm-hmm. Cinderella mm-hmm. would fucking love to know more about her because mm-hmm. she is a manipulative psycho rather than just anger. And I think you're right though, the Queen of Hearts does kind of stymie what you can do with the character. 
Yeah. Because she's always going to end up just anger. Yeah. She's, well, it's not even that she ends up anger. Like, I think that Marissa Mayer chose to make her heartless and angry. Yeah. As a justification for how she becomes the person that we know Mm. from Alice in Wonderland. But I don't think that that's ever even really clear. Like, it's almost giving it too much credit because... Mm the thing about the Queen of Hearts is she's just fucking... And I mean this with no disrespect and fully aware of my mental health conditions. She's just fucking mad. Yeah. Yeah, we're all mad here. Yeah, like, that's the point. Like, she is just... She is irrational. And I think if you take it to the original text, it's irrationality. It's obtuseness irrationality. That was Lewis Carroll's point. It was people who will only ever believe their thing and will twist all the facts to make it so because they're the the people in charge. Yeah. That was his fucking point with her. Yeah. So she doesn't doesn't have a rationale. Marissa Mayer does an admirable job in this book of giving her a rationale. Yeah. It just... Doesn't work. It just would have been a better book if she hadn't bothered trying. Yeah. And had just written a different book. Yeah. But yeah, this idea of the the madness thing, the we're all mad here, but that you just mentioned is so, I've just really latched onto that because one of the things I wrote in my phone as I was going along, and one of them was she tries to make the irrational rational. She tries to make sense out of madness. And the problem with that is that it, I felt like it flies in the face of what the original book was. Mm-hmm. It diminishes the world. I think mm-hmm. um, and there's quite a lot I'd like to say about how she sets this within Wonderland but it's the whole point of the Queen of Hearts like you say is that she's she's fucking bonkers yeah she hits hedgehogs with flamingos yeah and she's tried to be like oh but she's nice though but she just doesn't have a heart because the man died yeah no, no. <laughs> just let her be let her yeah. hit her hedgehogs when we were talking off mic earlier, you referenced the Cruella film, which neither of us have seen. Yeah. But Cruella is an interesting comparison, I think, to the Queen of Hearts. I think mm. they are very similarly perceived characters. The thing about Cruella, for all her faults, mm. <laughs> of which there are many, <laughs> is that even in the original text, she is given a motivation. Yes. And her motivation is aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And whether you you know whether you can latch onto that or not, you can make a plausible origin story. And from what I understand of the origin story of Cruella, is that her fatal flaw is ambition. Yes, and that tracks. You know, like that. If it wasn't ambition, and you said that it was aesthetic, or you said that it was luxury, or you said that it was any of those things, I'd still be like, it tracks because I can track all of that too the woman that Cruella is in the films and I haven't ever read the books, but in the film, you know, again, we're talking about the Disneyfication of fairy tales here. Whereas the Queen of Hearts doesn't have a motivation. And so that lack of motivation is very hard to map into an origin story. Yeah, it really is. So what else did you think that she didn't do quite as well as you would have liked? (laughs) Well, how long have we got for this podcast? I mean, um, usually about an hour. Yeah. <laughs> All right then, buckle up, kiddos. So I think there are a few things, like I said, we'll talk about the Wonderland stuff. We've, we've talked about why it wasn't good as a villain origin because it was blocked by this character that she had to end up at. Other things that really bugged me were 
crap at metaphors. Absolutely <laughs> crap. Oh, please give me an example. I will. Hang on, let me find one. Just the most blatant, and it was all relying... Like, I understand everything is red, white, black. That's the whole point of the chess thing and the cards. And I get that. I get that. You just le- lent into that a little bit too heavily, Marissa. So, terrible metaphors. The one I've written here. Expanding like a hot air balloon. Well, it's a sim- simile, actually, but... You're like... It's not the first thing I choose. Expanding like a hot air balloon. And there was another one that was just like, red as a rose. And I was like, it's not fucking Snow White. You have the opportunity here to do something interesting with this. And she was just going with everything that was so obvious. And it really annoyed me. And another thing that I really <laughs> did not like. And I've read, I've, I've read Alice in Wonderland a few times, but it has been a long time. And I don't remember if this is something that happens in the way the original is written. But I don't think it is is that she kept making references to things that were in the real world but had been renamed, like the Loeb Theatre, Taming of the Stew, Mm -hmm. and just sort of using these puns on real-world things in this fantasy way. And yes, there is obviously the link with the quote real world when Alice falls through the rabbit hole. I was like, stop it! (laughs) could, Could you not think of anything that you could have just made... I don't yeah, know. yeah, I I get it because I caught those references as well. I also caught a reference to a story about someone falling down a rabbit hole. Mm. What was the purpose in that? And it it was who was that for? Who was it for? We talk a lot about this podcast and who something's for. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I find confusing about this book is who's it for? Yeah, because I don't feel like it's for any of the people that end up picking it up. No, it's not for romance readers. It's not really. For, it's maybe for YA readers. Maybe it's not for diehard Alice in Wonderland fans. It's not for diehard feminists. It's not. It's not for diehard feminists. Feminists. <laughs> it's just like I don't know who it's for, and mm. I I think that I think it's for Disney girls. But I'm a Disney girl. Yeah, I'm not saying it's good at doing what it's what it's set out to. I think it's. I don't. And this is really mean, and I just want to, <laughs> I just want to repeat that you know I didn't totally hate this book, and I did enjoy reading it for parts, and I really like Marissa Mayer. I think it's a book that you're meant to buy because it's pretty and not to read. <laughs> it looks good. It calls back to something that's a bit tap your nose. I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but I don't really think it holds up to scrutiny. No, in my humble opinion. As a Disney literary girl. <laughs> so, kind of touching on that though, like touching on who's it for, is it for Alice fans? Mm-hmm. We both touched on how it handles Wonderland because I kind of like aspects of the Wonderland and I don't think you did as much, but as I say, my feelings about it are mixed and it, it speaks to that thing about it's not consistent. How well do you think she set this in Wonderland and why from what I'm guessing how you feel, do you not feel that she maybe did that as well and what were the issues there? Yeah. I mean, it's a very hard thing as a creative to take your voice and your way of storytelling and set it in someone else's world. I appreciate that that is a skill and Mm -hmm. it is a skill that not everybody has. And I'm not, this is not me saying, I could do it because I most likely couldn't unless it were, I don't know, 
one of those Jack and Jill books you read when you were like three. Yeah, um, I could probably do Famous Five, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, but you, you breathe, eat, breathe, sleep. <laughs> and stuff. It is hard, and this ultimately is not Alice in Wonderland. It's not Alice of the Looking Glass, or Alice in Her Adventures in Wonderland. And, yeah, anyway. This is a different book by a different author written over 100 years later. So it will be different. Uh-huh. I don't think... Like I said, I felt like the references pulled you out of it, stopped it being Wonderland and made it somehow. Again, the note I wrote on my phone was, it makes Wonderland feel provincial. I was Mm. reading this and Mm. it's talking about the, you know, the the bakery and the the cobbler and all of it. And all those are very like whimsical fairy tale words. You know, you you think of, I need six eggs in... But you're so right. It does. It... I kept lingering in the corner of my mind that this was reminding me of another setting that we read and it was reminding me of Reputation. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I can see that. Oh my God, and it's just clicked. How weird. It was like a society book. Uh, you know, it, it was it was this world where there were these very strict rules about what the daughters of nobility can and can't do. And you're like, this is a world... Where you can drink something off a table and shrink. You can go and talk to a massive caterpillar sitting on a toadstool with a hooker pipe. You can... Ma- a woman can marry a warthog. <clears throat> a woman can marry a warthog. There's all this fantastical stuff that can happen. And yet, a young woman wants to open a bakery. Oh, no! Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> and there's still corsets, somehow. And there's still corsets. There are no corsets in Wonderland. <laughs> but no, it's... it's it, it just it made what is great to me about Alice in Wonderland and the thing that people come back to time and time again they talk about how it's you know it's a treatment on the, the mathematics and mm. it was his it was Lewis Carroll's version of that they talk obviously though in the 60s and 70s there was a massive move that it was about drugs and all of that there's so many interpretations why not both? of <laughs> why not? drugs and maths for a good night in but it doesn't it loses its whimsy it loses the absurdity and i really it really bugs me because mm-hmm. she other than being like oh a penguin brought me a drink i was like oh, i don't care about that you've not done this well enough for a penguin to bring you a drink sit down yeah i think that is a good point some of the parts that i enjoyed the most were parts that weren't in wonderland but had wonderland characters in them mm. so the mad hatter's tat shop mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the hedge maze and stuff like that which had a feel or they were referencing things but they weren't trying to do a thing in Wonderland that we know yeah and some of the parts that I enjoyed the least were the parts where they were trying to do things in Wonderland that we know for example like the croquet or the food that you can eat like the food that you can eat and it grows or whatever and I so I kind of agree with you there that I really think that it didn't it's very very hard to write in a world that's already been written not as that author and especially such a unique and special and beloved world Mm -hmm. and i think that Mm. for some authors having constraint of a retelling or something works really really well and some authors need to create their own thing and zoe gilbert who wrote folk and mischief acts Mm. she talks about this as well which is that she likes being constrained by a myth but she also likes roaming and then Mm. that actually she finds it easier to geolocate her work because if you have too many different things there's just so much that you can do but i think marissa mayer's strengths in character and place and empathy and connection flounder in a essentially pre-written story 
Yeah. So Marissa Mayer, please don't hate me. <laughs> so we are going to have our traditional grape culture break, top up our glasses, have a wee, but we will be back after the break to talk some more about Heartless. So we're back from the break. We are still drinking the Queen of Hearts white wine. Kim, how are you finding it? I'm really enjoying this and I am obviously genuinely surprised. Yeah. I'm surprised because it's a white wine. I'm surprised because I wasn't in the mood for white wine. And I'm never really in the mood for white wine, but some days are better no, than others. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'm I'm never really in the mood for white wine. And I'm really, really enjoying this. It's very easy drinking. It's very crisp and fresh. On the tasting notes, it said like white flesh fruits and stuff. And I'm really getting that. We've had wines before where they've said down peach or whatever. And I don't get it. Whereas this, I do, I do get that fresh nectarine peach flavour, which yes. is lovely. And it does not taste like pineapples. I was going to ask, did you get any pineapple notes from it? No pineapples whatsoever. I wouldn't hesitate to have this again. I am really, really pleased. And yeah, like, I just think it's a really good summer wine. Everything that they say in their tasting notes is spot on. Share it with friends and family, have it with fish. Yeah, really, really enjoying it. (laughs) Good. How Um, about you? I am also very much enjoying it. I think it's a really, it's a welcome white. I've had quite a lot of white wine recently that's been kind of vinegary, not very good. This is definitely not that. It's very crisp. It's very summertime. Yeah, uh, it's not tar- also we've not put it back in the fridge since we started recording and it's still really nice and quite often when we've had white wine on this podcast like the warmer it gets the grosser it gets very good pick yeah i'm pleased i'm really pleased what was a less good pick was the book <laughs> <laughs> all right no all right. Was, it was a joint shots fired that was, that was a joint choice no blame anywhere so before the break we talked a bit about what was good what was bad what we expected what we thought of the, the wonderland setting and i think something else that's important that we consider with this book is that it is an origin story so origin stories are very popular i think they interest a lot of people and have interested people for a long time why do you think that is why do you think people enjoy them i had really good points to this earlier and i don't remember any of them fantastic thanks why i think one of the things that people want out of origin stories is that you take these characters that are not sidelined but they have a lesser story they have they have one note you're seeing them at the end of their story very often and you want to know what made them like that way and also you want to give them the agency and the empathy that you can't get always from the show Mm -hmm. the the original story that they're in i think loki's a really good example of this people Mm. latched onto loki because loki well first of all he's played by tom hiddleston and tom hiddleston is beautiful but depending on who you ask but also he's an interested and complicated character and he is given that empathy a little bit in films because there is the sense that he has a reason for it and so his origin story and go and his return in every film and his origin stories in films gives him more story mm-hmm. but gives him within that story agency the chances the chance at choosing the fate that is coming to him and i think that's the same in any origin story you want some sense that these people chose the path that they were on that they weren't just launched into a shitty situation Mm. and you want to see them win a battle 
or however small that battle might be whether that battle is you know like choosing to leave a shitty situation or actually winning a fucking battle and then they get defeated later on you want to see them win because you want to see how someone becomes a villain how someone becomes so unhinged that they can't see the other side Mm. and how it is that you as generally good people can still come to find them interesting and empathetic Mm -hmm. it's not dissimilar to i think the reasons why a lot of people are interested in true crime is like you want to understand how they got there so that you sometimes so that you can avoid it sometimes that that you can sort of be less scared of it sometimes because you want to understand why it's so interesting to you and i think we are humans are by nature empathetic creatures for the most part and um we like the stories we like complicated characters because we believe we are all very complicated which we are absolutely and i think for a lot of people villains are the most fun and interesting characters in so many stories that when you think about who you want to hear more from you you want it to be a villain but quite often villains are killed at the end of things or they're defeated and unless you're going to have another story that is about the hero it's very rare that you then see that villain story continued so mm-hmm. i think also a, a an origin story is a, is an opportunity to see more from that character mm-hmm. exactly i also think as well it's the the villain thing is, is interesting because i would I'm, I'm sure this must have been done or something but if there were a story that were told by both a villain and a hero at the same time like two different stories let's say there's two different movies coming out one is from the villain's perspective one is from the hero's perspective and you went right we're releasing these in cinemas at the same time which one do you think will perform better in the box office the villain or the hero what a great idea for a start this is why you're in marketing (laughs) I, i would assume the villain but i think that it has to be a known villain yes but what if they were both an unknown hero and an unknown villain i don't know actually because i think that part of the reason that we gravitate towards villains is because we know them yeah possibly because i think you you go to a cinema you go to a film you go to a story because you want to see the main character identify with that character watch them win watch someone win Mm. but one of the things that i think people struggle with in a lot of in a lot of media is that they can't identify with the main character i'm not pretty i'm not shiny i'm not i'm not brave i'm not harry potter i'm not whatever yeah i'm steve rogers the first iteration and so that is why sometimes people find the villain and and therefore the underdog more appealing Mm. and so it's only after realizing that they can't identify with the hero the person who is right that they then realize that they identify with the villain yeah not because he's right but because he's misunderstood or she's misunderstood or, or they have a tragic backstory or whatever and i think so i think that in the initial stages people want to root for the vill- sorry want to root for the hero mm. but most of us are so cripplingly self-doubting and down on ourselves which is you know the human condition but also you're all beautiful wonderful snowflakes that we don't always end up identifying with fucking super hot a lot and end up going with grumpy mcrumperson super super hot a lot yeah brilliant love that man <laughs> but no you're, you, you're absolutely right though it's it's the identifiable characteristics and the hero will often act in ways that is not realistic and i think sometimes villains act in a slightly more identifiable way or have a ad- more identifiable 
reason for doing it rather than some of the hero ones are a bit overblown and I think also the thing with villains that we're attracted to as well is this idea that through a villain you can see things play out that you could never do in your life in in a similar way to a hero but you see that darkness from a safe perspective of a reader or a viewer or whatever Mm -hmm. and sometimes that can be just as appealing as seeing the goodness the the Mm -hmm. heights of fame and glory that the hero will achieve so what do you think do you think this stacked up as a good villain origin story i think from what we discussed possibly not (laughs) but what would have made it better for you the thing that bothered me about this which i think is probably the thing that a lot of people like about this is that it made her it made Kath, the Queen of Hearts, sweet and pliable and like she was just any other girl, which is obviously fine, but like it made her it made her Alice in many ways. Mm. And it just it never felt believable to me. And even in all of this, in what I want from an origin story if we're talking about agency, she didn't have it. No. Even when she was being purported to be this passionate, brilliant, special person, and I was just like, I just don't get it. It never showed me why I care about her. It told me why I care about her. It didn't show me. And part of that is what we've said earlier, that the original Queen of Hearts has fucking nothing going for her, Mm. pretty much. So it's very hard to take something that doesn't exist Whereas what I've talked about with origin stories and villains is that they have some, they have a quality that you can latch onto. Mm. I shouldn't have that, no. but it took a character and made her a completely different character, and then tried to shove in that character at the end. And she didn't have agency. She wasn't able to stand up for herself. She never won anything. Mm-hmm. She never won anything that she wanted. And my feeling is that if you're telling a villain origin story, at some point they should have been something that they wanted, even if it's freedom. Yeah. Even like because I think that that's something that a lot of villains get when they become villains is freedom, but she she doesn't get that. Yeah, there was no you've got the thing at what cost kind of. Yes. Yeah, it was just all cost. Yes, it was all cost. Yes, exactly, yeah. and that was a problem for me. Yeah, I agree. Lack of lack of agency, lack of fulfillment. Yeah, every decision, everything she was aiming towards was driven by another character. Her falling in love with Jest. The pressure from her parents with the king like all of the balls and stuff all of the balls Mm. that was all family guided you're right there was nothing the only time that anything felt like it was driven by her was the moment where she went back through the gate to go and save marianne 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 her friend and it was supposed to be like i'm going to save my friend but it was like are you being fucking stupid right now and then she was still really bratty about it i'm sorry she was such a dick about that i saved you but you should have died it's like go fuck yourself you don't deserve a friend if that's how you're gonna feel sorry no 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 Um, friends for you oh wait no friends oh wait no friends for you yeah but yeah it, it didn't it didn't give you enough of a hook to make you believe that this character that you start with is it ends up as the queen of hearts there wasn't even like it's it's very very basic this but I didn't even see her have moments of like uncontrollable rage that she then reined back in. Yeah. Even something like that, something that would have tied that in character to the character you see at the beginning and there was nothing. Yeah, it just wasn't, it, it just didn't give us any satisfaction no. for that character. And yeah, yeah, that was Gash. <laughs> so as a villain origin story, it has its 
flaws, shall we say. Do you think this would have performed better or would have lived up to expectations more if you'd sort of taken the, the Queen of Hearts element out of it and it had just been a fantasy romance? How do you think it would have fared then? As long as it didn't end the way that it ends. Okay. Yes. Because a romance should not end with the beloved being beheaded. True by Pumpkin Man. No. Pumpkin Man. <laughs> Pumpkin Man. Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater. Oh, that whole fucking riot. Had a wife who even... couldn't keep her. We've not even touched on that plot because it makes me ragey, but yes. Uh, yeah, I think if you take out the being beheaded by a pumpkin man <laughs> yeah. aspect, like if they had a happy ending, great romance. Loved every bit of it. Well, that's not true. But I would have gotten over the creepy sisters and been happy with the story. I've said it from the beginning. I think that this was a book written for another book. And I just think that, like... Where's that plot I had lying around? Maybe I could use it for Yeah, 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 absolutely. We haven't even touched on the fucking creepy sisters aspect. No, the the fucking ring sisters who live in a well. Yeah. But I think (laughs) the thing that I hated the most... Was the fucking creepy sisters. <laughs> With their fox masks and raccoon masks. I just, I was like, have you taken Tumblr and turned it into the fates? Because that's what you've done. Yeah. And it's creepy as fuck. But not in a, like, good creepy way. Just in a, like, gonna think about this randomly in the shower and be like, ugh. Like, it's, no. It's very easy to make Alice in Wonderland creepy. It's a very easy road to skew down. But what you can't do is be like, oh, thwarted romance, ah ha ha, creepy triplets. Like, it just, it did not work. Right? <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> it's an example of doing too much in this book. Yeah, yeah. And too late. Yeah. Like, if you'd have them popping up throughout it. They're, yeah. They're, I feel like this book is in thirds. Mm. And each third is basically a completely different book. Yeah. And then it's kind of slapped Alice in Wonderland on it and good luck. That's a little bit cranky, but it's also like, it's like a 450 page book. It's not, it's not brief. It's not brief. It could have been a good romance, but it was very, it also, I don't feel, I don't feel there was enough build up for them. For something that was so long, I don't feel that the development of the relationship between Kath and, and this Jess is, was there. I agree with you, but this is what I think is the problem with this book is because it's trying to do two origin stories. Yeah. It's trying to do strong independent woman can't be a strong independent woman origin story, mm-hmm. the bakery. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to do girl falls in love and can't be in love. We get beheaded by that classic story. You know how it goes. Yeah. Boy meets <laughs> girl boy falls in love with girl boy gets beheaded by a pumpkin man yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. tell us all this time shut it here <laughs> pour one out for our fallen pumpkin friend. <laughs> but yeah it, it was trying to do two origin stories and either of those would have been better than both of those mm. so i think that if this was written as a romance you wouldn't have both of those because mm. you would know what you were focusing on. But the thing is, what this book was trying to do was focus on there was a girl, she was a girl before she was the Queen of Hearts. How do we make her a fully-fledged girl? One, two. 
he was a boy, she was a girl. Can I make it any more obvious? <laughs> you probably could, yeah. Yeah, and he had yellow eyes. Did you know? Yellow eyes. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, a bit odd. <clears throat> did you think he was Mad Hatter when it first started? Because I did. When he was very first introduced. I did, yeah, yeah. yes. I didn't wholly think it, but I was like, I could believe it. Do you think that would have been a better story? Oh, I would love to see a Queen of Hearts Mad Hatter love story. Right? Right. Right? Right. But when I found out that wasn't the case, I was a bit like, oh. And I'm not saying you have to tie every single character in. And it was interesting to introduce an entirely new character who then gets beheaded by Pumpkin Man. But that But she introduced given... an entirely new character so that he could get beheaded by Pumpkin Man. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, well, this actually contributed fuck all yeah. to the plot of Alice in Wonderland, really. As, neither did the fucking Hatter. Well, no, no. And then it was just like, I'm going to go mad, by the way. All my family do. And you're like, going to go mad and also I'm gay. Yeah, mad and gay. <laughs> all right, then. Mad gay um, make hats. <laughs> oh, that's what I put on Twitter. But no, he like, and also I think the mad Hatter... Or the Hatter with an A. Why did they do... Just call him the fucking The Hatter. That's fine. You could just leave him mad off. Whatever. He... If he'd been one of those characters that just sort of talks in riddles and is a bit weird and mad and then just comes through with insightful things. I'm thinking... I've been reading a lot of Robin Hobb recently and I'm thinking of the fool from the Robin Hobb stories. But I feel like that would have been better than just being like, oh, here's this sort of camp milliner who... Oh, he's gonna go. He's gone mad, like with no explanation other than time caught up with him. Yeah. Is again, it, is it a metaphor for dementia? What's going on? Again, it's another story. Yeah. That she wanted to tell that she wasn't telling. Yeah. Disappointing. Ultimately, this book tried to do too much under a very constrained yes. narrative. So maybe we think that we would have written this book in a different genre. Written this book like in a different constraint what else do we think we would have done differently yeah i think genre would have been a good one i would have enjoyed this book as a series from from different character perspectives i think and you wouldn't need to do like loads but i think seeing the evolution of the queen of hearts not just through her eyes but through the eyes of maybe the hatter maybe um maybe the king even, mad little weird king, would have given us those secondary side characters that this was sort of lacking in development. Yeah. And because when you encounter the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland, she is through Alice's eyes. Mm-hmm. And to see that character develop through other people's eyes, I think would have added more gravitas to mm-hmm. the final, or the final, you know, not product, that's a bit corporate, but final outcome. So I think... Oh yeah, a bit corporate been... for this multi million pound <laughs> fucking franchise. The fucking Marianne being like, oh, well, you know, I've drawn up the profit sheets. It was like, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. Calm down. So there is some corporateness in this, which was also stupid. But <laughs> I'm really good with numbers. All right, accountant Anne. All um, right, maid seven, who we're led to believe has never had any education. Yeah, exactly. I could, yeah, can you can you balance the profit book? Yeah, sure, no problem. Anyway, but yeah, I think that that would have been a really good twist on this and obviously an origin story you want to feel for the, the the main person who is the villain but it would have also helped balance that perception i think what do you think i agree i think a multi-narrative a multi-perspective narrative would have been more beneficial for this story mm. because 
we need to see the Queen of Hearts from the outside, not just from the inside, mm. because we only know her from the outside in a way that with some of the villains, we don't only know them from the outside because we, as we said, we they have more nuance. I also think that I just would have cut a lot from this. I would have just cut a lot from this or written things differently. I just think that she tried to do too much. It would have made a great trilogy. Like if this book had been split up into a trilogy and told different aspects of the same story, I yeah. I, I don't know whether I would have believed it much more, but I think that I would have disliked some of the things that it rushed yeah. a lot less. Like Because I feel like you start with a very innocent character who very quickly falls in love and who very quickly becomes is is we are told this passionate believable heroine character and i never really saw that yeah except for the fact that she wanted to open a bakery which always seemed a little bit airy fairy and i think that actually you could have done you know three 250 page books with this and it would have been better because you just would have had more time to sit with some of the characters that we do get like we we're introduced we are introduced to some side characters i forget their names because they're pointless but like the 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 fake best friend not Marianne, the 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 bitch best friend. Oh, uh, the one that marries the warthog. The one um, that marries the warthog, and of course yes. Sir Warthog himself, and the <laughs> king, and everything. And like, I think that th- I think that we could have done with sitting with those characters a bit more, yeah. because part of the supposed appeal of Kath is that she is good to all these people, despite the fact that they're shit and terrible and all yeah. boring or whatever. And actually, those are aspects that are rushed, and then we spend too many pages with creepy sisters and a hedge mage and a treacle well and it's just like i just yeah but yeah i think to be honest mostly you've just hit the nail on the head yeah or what would have been good would be split narrative between young calf calf you could either do split narrative between young calf calf after alice has been and then what happened after alice yeah in wonderland or the trio of like before during after yeah and that kind of yes broken up uh, there's a word for it where you have this you know the multiple time period. yeah i think but, that would be really cool yes and i think you're right and i think also what that needs is the reason that she is who she is not to be because she doesn't have a heart yes because i think that i know that it's called heartless and that's the fucking point oh. but i think that that's lazy and i think that that doesn't give us that opportunity it doesn't give us that reflecting on who this person is who's come into her world to fuck shit up yeah and like we said before the show the creepy well sisters <laughs> turn up take her heart and it's the payment for finding peter peter the pumpkin man but the behavior that happens after they take her heart has already been established in the interim between just die just dying and her ruling over this court for this thing so she is already this person and from my eyes, from the way it's described in that very, very rushed bit at the end, mm. them taking her heart doesn't really have a bearing on the no. rest of it. They could have left it and in fact it would have been more interesting to leave it because this is a person who is living with that pain still in their body whereas they've just gone like, oh, we're going to take it out and make you a two-dimensional angry person. Yeah. And hooray, story fixed. So we have a bottle of wine and a book 
to rate. What do you want to do first? Let's end on a high. Let's rate the book first. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so the book, once again, listeners, if you haven't paid attention and you've listened to our glowing review and would like to go and buy it yourself, is Heartless by Marissa Mayer. So, Kim, what would you recommend out of five grapes? What would you what would you attribute to this book? I'm going to give this a 2.5, which is slightly lower than a book that I would recommend to other people. Credit to the fact that I did find parts of it compelling and that I I know that Marissa can do better. And that I think that, you know, there were points of it where I was a little bit like, no, but but for me, maybe it will all be okay. I, you know, like it has good points. This is not a shit book. This is not a shitly written book. This is a book clearly written by someone who knows how to write mm. and who has good story ideas but did not execute this particular story idea very well and that is my feeling 2.5 grapes fair yeah i think that's accurate i, I on goodreads i gave this a two because i thought it was a 2.5 but i'm not given the other things that i've rated a three recently i don't feel like this is at the same level so 2.5 it could have it could have done so much more. We've talked a lot on this show. I'm not going to go into any more detail because you've just listened to all of it. 2.5. If you like young adult romances with hedgehog croquet, this might be for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll make a pretty Instagram post. It so. will. It will for sure. Which you can see on our Instagram. How about The Queen of Hearts Wine by Nico Zaridi? I haven't said that right the entire night. You said it different every time as well. Yeah. So that's fun. Nico Lazaridi. It's it's a banger. I think it was a banger. really, really good choice. It was one of the best not just one of the best whites, one of the best wines we've had on this show for I a while. I so agree. Yeah. I'm gonna go four point five, I think. I was tempted by a five, but I'm feeling stingy tonight, so four point <laughs> five. Very would recommend to anyone looking for a good summertime crowd pleasing Greek wine. Yeah. Or anyone. Absolutely. Um, I echo that sentiment. I'm also going to give it a 4.5 grapes, which is very unheard of yeah, for me with a white wine. wine. But yeah. I really enjoyed it. I was so pleasantly surprised. It was about it was about £10. I've seen it for like 13 99 I think, on some other places. But the where I got it from, from thegreekdeli.com, was £10.14. Nice. Which is not bad nice. for a really good wine. I think it's well worth the money. I think it's a special occasion wine in the sense that mm. it's so tasty mm. and it's cost that little bit more. But it is a crowd pleaser. Yeah. So I'm really, really, really impressed with it. And I'm slightly flabbergasted because it's a white wine and I've rated it so highly but 4.5 grapes. Mm. Shout out to the Greek Deli and shout out to Nico Lazaridi for your Queen of Hearts off of 2021 wine. So that brings us to the end of the show this week, but don't forget, we'll be back in two weeks' time with a brand new episode for you. In the meantime, if you want to see some pictures of the beautiful cover of Heartless or the wine that we've just had, you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast. We are on Twitter at Grape Culture Pod. Or we have a website as well with all the information about the wines and the show that you've just listened to, and that is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks time for a brand new episode.